It seems that everywhere in the media, there is a strong pitch to move things in one direction or another. Vote for this candidate, buy this product or use this service. These seem like clear ideas that must have been born out of a singular focus or idea. Perhaps for some that is true. For many though, getting a message to market means the unruly task of building consensus around an idea. Words like stakeholders, interested parties, and market share get bandied about. Hundreds of Skype sessions, meetings, whiteboards later, you arrive at a message. Is it bland or effective? Has the process of consensus robbed you of interesting and original? In today's Is There 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 podcast, presented by Graphic Machine Studio, we dive into consensus building in what we like to call the Let's Get Together edition. I am Brian Jones. With me is Patience Jones. Hello. To talk about consensus building and what is now and next in that arena. So to kick things off, we thought we'd sort of dive into a little bit about the kind of, not science, but definitely some of the tidbits that you'd collected a little bit about this topic, Patience, around consensus. Yeah, this is... um this is a topic that I am particularly interested in because most of the words that you mentioned in the introduction give me hives. I tend to perhaps wrongfully equate consensus building with inefficiency. So I did a little bit of research as is my want. There were some really interesting articles about consensus building and we'll post the links to them. I think traditionally when we think consensus building, we use it to mean getting everybody involved to agree on the same thing. To come to one conclusion. Right, exactly, regardless of what the issue is or how many people are involved or whatever. And there's a great guide, it's funny, they call it the Short Guide to Consensus Building from MIT, and it's quite lengthy, relatively short. First point that it makes, which really kind of helped clarify things a lot, is consensus building came out of a backlash to Robert's Rules of Order. So back in the day, and there are still a lot of committees that still and boards that still operate using Robert's Rules of Order. But Robert's Rules were designed to, as MIT puts it, restrain the individual. So everything about Robert's Rules of Order is written to keep individuals in check, to keep any one individual from overrunning a process. But it's not really about making sure all the individuals are happy with the outcome. It's just, that there's an outcome. Right, like how yeah. can you get to an outcome without letting somebody derail it? Consensus building is focused on the overwhelming agreement that if everyone agrees that they can live with the final proposal after every effort has been made to meet any outstanding interests. You make it sound exhausting. I know. That definition is not, is everybody happy? Right. It's, is this something that everybody can live with and that we've considered all of everybody's objections? The MIT piece, and the reason I said it was relatively short, is because it provides an extensive outline for the process of coming to consensus. And it involves, I believe, several layers of subcommittees. And the very first thing is you have to have a dialogue about whether you want to have a dialogue to try to build consensus. And that's the kind of Kafka-esque stuff that just, it really, it gives me hive. <laughs> so, and true consensus building sessions are usually carried out by a mediator. Contrast that with a company that has to make a decision, presumably in less than like three weeks time, on a direction that they want to go or final messaging. Picking and, the color of the paint on a wall. Yes, we're going to paint our lobby. The colors are going to be, let's have consensus. Well, if you're truly going to go for consensus, you're going to engage in this very lengthy procedure that will result, if it does what it's supposed to, 
in everybody buckle up being able to live with it not everybody going in and going oh my gosh i love that lobby color it's you know what it's not my favorite but it'll do it's often born out of at least from from my experience the notion that you want the least amount of pushback after something happens or something a message gets pushed out or a marketing piece gets pushed out or frankly just a business decision gets executed i'm sure that it's from well-meaning hopefully uh, executives that really wanted to be able to move forward once something was decided and what they probably were finding themselves constantly fighting was you could execute a decision but then you're going to go through the same amount of time after the fact trying to arrive at that i find most interesting is the quality of the idea within an organization do you have the right players to allow great ideas to really get to the market or are the players that are involved in your particular organization keeping you from having a good idea and being able to see it through so that is often the issue is that there's no nice way to say this the people who are going to come up with the best ideas are often not the same people whose quote-unquote consensus you have to have to use the overused term stakeholder your stakeholders are probably in some cases they will be but probably not going to be your idea generators your big aha moments but you have to convince them that the big aha moment is the right direction to go in so if you have a situation where you need to build consensus how do you do that in a way that is efficient meaningful and keeps the project on track. Deciding first that there's a good outcome that can be had as a group and not that you know what that outcome looks like, but that you know that that's what everybody's aiming for and reminding people why you're doing this in the first place. Because often in the middle of trying to iron out the most granular of details, you can often lose sight of where you're trying to head ultimately. So let's say, for instance, you're trying to create a commercial for your business. And in the process of deciding, be the spokesperson for your 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 commercial, you you lose sight of the fact that you're actually doing a commercial and you become singularly obsessed with finding the right person. It doesn't matter. That that, everybody really likes. Yes. Yeah. And you multiply that one decision across the number of decisions that any business or or organization has to make, and it becomes crippling. Developing the group of people that you have as stakeholders, I think that's where the real work has to begin, is making sure that you have people at the table that have as their goal wanting to see things move forward. That's an excellent point. The goal needs to be more of a big picture goal. If you come at it from, well, we need to build consensus around getting this particular actor for this particular campaign that we want to do. That's not really traditionally, truly consensus building. That's just trying to persuade somebody to adopt your idea. What you would do if you really were focused on consensus is say, we are going to come up with an ad. We are going to come up with the type of voiceover person that we want to have. Everybody bring all of your ideas. We'll talk about all of them. We'll whiteboard till we're blue in the face. And at the end of the day, we will have a concept. And maybe it's what I came into this meeting thinking it would be. And maybe it isn't. This is a good illustration of why creative projects should never, ever be done by consensus. It, I mean, just don't even do it. Just like take a nap at your desk Shred all your files. Don't even try because it's going to end up an anemic mess. You see this also, though, in 
as we're in presidential primary season on no matter what side of the political spectrum you find yourself, we see this consensus is unfolding before our eyes that you're trying to take a handful of candidates and get enough people to decide that that's the person that they want to have representing their party and their ideas. You can see the discontent that erupts when you're trying to do that because it's impossible to get everyone to agree on what the goals are. Consensus is the rhetoric of the campaigns, right? As a party, the party needs to have consensus. But at the end of the day, it's not about consensus. It's about the majority. And so the person with the most number of delegates, presumably, is the candidate. And then the person with the most number of votes and electoral college votes is the president. I think that kind of bifurcation tends to continue the problem that we have of thinking about consensus because we think oh we have if we have consensus then there's one result that everybody's happy with that's maybe true but probably not for anybody that's ever negotiated a peace treaty or, or some sort of end to a conflict, building consensus, you realize how fragile that can be and that it can unravel at a moment's notice. Just because a decision has been made in this process doesn't mean that it can be lasting and that you're absolutely right, that it isn't about everybody being happy at the end of the process. So what, what do you think it means for companies when you're trying to make a decision about a product line or a big decision for the company? What do you think that that means? ultimately? And what's the best first step to try and take? I think the first step to take is not to echo the have a meeting to decide if you're going to have a meeting, but to decide whether this is an issue that you truly need consensus on for whatever reason. And keeping happy employees is certainly a legitimate reason to do something. But make sure that you know what that reason is and why you're going to go through this process. And that you can accept the consensus outcome. Yes. Which is often something that people aren't necessarily prepared for. Exactly. And if it's not an issue that is going to be best served by consensus, i.e. a creative campaign, then don't tell people that you're doing it by consensus. Don't say in the coffee room, oh, we want to have consensus around this. Sends mixed messages. Just do the thing, run it through the normal channels of approval, and you're done. If you decide it really is something that has to be done by consensus, set up a formal process. And as onerous as it seems, the outline from MIT is really helpful in figuring out how to do that and all the steps that you take. And have somebody who's a neutral mediator, who doesn't have any interest in the outcome, who can help facilitate this so that people don't feel like they're just being asked to buy into a predetermined outcome. Sure. And be a good listener. If you go in assuming that you know what people want, assuming that you know what they think, thinking about consensus as just an afterthought or a check mark that you have to get on your permission slip, it's going to be a failure. Make sure it has the best chance of being successful from the get-go. Yeah, or don't do it. And that's okay too. Well, I kind of have a, a now that ties into this a little bit. It relates to the idea of the type of designer that a person is and how they naturally bring their sort of predilection or their preferences into the process and the nature of what Ooh. design is. And one of the things, and we'll post a link to this article, but it's a it comes from a list of art, which is a great website if you aren't reading it. It's a great one to be reading and adding to your list. But one of the nice things about it is the idea of recognizing the type of process that the designer uses to solve a problem. 
because that knowing how they fit within the process can actually help you understand what the likely outcome is and whether or not they will bring the right set of tools to help solve the problem that has been presented. And they go into this great detail about this person that had chose to dress in gothware and their sort of predisposition for what the client would feel when they would come into a meeting and how likely or not likely they were to get that job based upon that person's appearance. For me, the idea of consensus in this regard is really just the idea that design, to your point earlier, is not necessarily a great fit always for having a committee coming around and agreeing upon an end result. But also knowing the person you've chosen to fulfill that role or the people that are in that role, you have to know what their process is so that you, even if you're not part of that committee, you can you can trust in the, in the outcome. I love that. I mean, it's, it's like a lot of things. If you were going to hire a wedding planner, you would say, okay, what's this process going to be like? How do you work? Or at least you should. I think people just kind of take on faith that a designer's process will mimic their own process without ever having that conversation. And the article is called Impulses and Outcomes, and that there are these things that drive us. Those are our impulses. Within a problem that has to be solved creatively, do those impulses, do they get in the way of the best possible solution? As a designer, you always find yourself in a, okay, this is my preference, but client needs me to do this, and I need to do that because that is the job. We're sort of living in a culture a little bit where we tell people that you have to have a personal identity and a personal brand and you you do that at the expense of the organization. What it ultimately ends up doing is sort of not serving either very well. I would love to see the neural mapping of that process. That would be really cool to see, okay, what spots are lighting up? Then how does that evolve or devolve as you come to the terms with the fact that you can't do the thing that you wanted to do? Somebody get on that. Indeed. Okay. What do you have for now? The National Records of Scotland released their list of most common baby names. And the top was Jack for a boy and Emily for a girl. But they also pulled out all of these random names that people picked for their kids. You know, Loki and Thor and Panache. <laughs> so, and I can say this with impunity given the weirdness of my own name. But what was really interesting is that after the vote on the referendum, they had a surge of babies named some variety of Indy. So sometimes it was I-N-D-I, I-N-D-Y, independence and that sort of I don't know I wouldn't I don't know if I would call it group think but just how events can really influence all of these unconnected people to pick the same name well, it's for often, their child it's often something that you find it's I think the common colloquialism is the tip of the tongue it's on the tip of the tongue of people's uh, of their mindset and yeah. it's like just right there out of reach and it's something that has been planted in your subconscious so yeah there's this big event that everybody kind of had in their collective mind and they're all sort of processing either independently or as a group towards that outcome and you see this there's been a lot of various articles about that happening both within the same geographic region and people coming to the same conclusion simultaneously at different parts of the world throughout history. So I think it's, uh, especially in our connected world, that is increasingly, you know, it's, it's funny to see those things kind of happen in, in real time. I wonder if anybody's ever done like a history of the world through baby names, because you could probably track events and sentiment all over the world by looking at what kids are named. All right. Again, somebody needs to get on this. Get on I'm going to be a little busy for the next couple <laughs> weeks. I'm doing a neural mapping project and a history of the world. Exactly. So. Nobody, you should be able to have that done in a week's time. Totally. So what else you got? So for, for my next... 
it's back on the design front again. There's a growing use of what are called micro interactions. And what these are, are essentially when you're using an app and you click a button, there's an extra little flourish or something that happens that let you know that you interacted with that piece. So like say for instance, you click a slider switch on your mobile app and maybe it pops up a heart to let you know that you had this thing that you did that lets you know that it was checked. Okay. And what these are doing are showing that essentially growing your relationship with the use of the interface as opposed to before where the interface was kind of neutral. But now mm -hmm. the point of these micro interactions are to help you find your way along through a process and to help you know that your things that you're doing have real impact. Do you think it's potentially also to create that dependency on the validation from the app? I don't think that that's necessarily it. Uh, <laughs> I think that it has more to do with the the sort of nature of smartphones, which is that they are very flat and inherently not tactile. Mm -hmm. And tactile in the sense that you can actually feel the button that you're clicking. Yeah. And so this is trying to approximate that I see. experience where I flip a switch, but it's not satisfying in the way that flipping a light switch is okay. or a Lutron switch because of the way it clicks. This is the new dawn of that. And you're, you're seeing it all the time because every time you interact with a website, you're seeing these little tiny flourishes happen yeah. that are there and these are designed to help you know that what you did it had an impact that it changed something in the interface or the, okay. the experience that's a pretty cool and you're going to see this increase over the next year because really one big bandwagon people love a bandwagon <laughs> but secondly yes. uh, it really does change how you feel about the use of a, an app cool what do you have for next? In the States, the federal government has um, issued a requirement that state accountability systems for education of kids have to include an additional indicator of school quality or student success that is not based on test scores. And this is in response to states having kind of teach to the test curriculum. So if your students passed this test with this score, then you continued to get your certification and your funding and everything was fine, which caused schools to only teach to the test. So all year would be spent teaching kids what was going to be on the test, how to take it, how to succeed. So the federal government said, okay, you have to include some other metric additionally, because we can't just have kids going out into the world who only know things that were on this test. So California's core school districts, which are nine school districts that include over a million students, they did a study of students in grades 3 through 12, and I think they had almost 450,000 students participate in this study. And they looked at four social-emotional skills. They asked the students to self report on these social emotional skills and what they're trying to determine and they're going to release the results of the test I think in parts over the next year they're trying to determine if these social emotional skills are something that could be part of this curriculum that could be reported as part of their accountability if it works they would say okay here are our test scores and then also here is the measure of our students self-efficacy or our students self-management right. and the four things that they looked at were self-management which are things like managing stress delaying gratification motivating oneself growth mindset 
which is the belief that your abilities grow with your effort. So the more you work at something, the better you'll get. Self-efficacy, which is the ability in yourself to succeed at achieving your goals. And social awareness, which is the ability to take on the perspective of others, to empathize with others, to be aware of social cues. Critics of this plan have said that because it relies on the student's own perspective of the student, it's all self-reporting, it's not great data. But the really, at this point, there is not another effective, efficient way to try to measure this. So it'll be really interesting to see how the results look, how the students rate themselves, And then to see if this is part of what becomes the curriculum plan for all of these schools is teaching people social awareness and self-management, which are crucial. And it it really, at the end of the day, it uh, makes it so that there's more than a set of facts that somebody happened to remember, that that's part of the, the human experience is having these other aspects that maybe aren't completely atrophied by the time you get out of school. And that you can, you can say, okay, maybe this group of students is deficient in the self-efficacy so or maybe they're deficient in the growth mindset so they're not seeing the relationship between hard work and achievement so let's work on that because then it matters less if they're not particularly good at the moment in a particular subject if they understand that they can get better at it by working really hard now you've set the stage for them to try if you don't address that issue the other parts are never going to get better Well, I want to thank you very much for listening to our show today. Find us on our website at graphicmachine.com slash ITTT for for this episode and every episode before this. Also, their podcast is the handle for the show and at Graphic Machine is the handle on Twitter for the agency. We look forward to speaking with you next week.